Well, you might have figured this out. You seem like an intelligent group of folks here. Life is full of uncertainties. And I think you probably are feeling that today as much as ever. We are living in a day of just uncertainty. You know, what's tomorrow going to look like? I think the expression goes, nothing is certain in life except death and taxes. <laughs> Not Texas. <laughs> taxes. Right. So I guess I'm sure about one thing. I'm sure that nothing is sure. So what a day. What a day. I think we all keep scratching our heads and saying, you know, why is, what is happening? Uh, this is unbelievable. Uh, what a day we're living in. And I, I have to be honest with you, sometimes when I, um, you know, look at the news, I think, why is everything so complicated? This is not that complicated. You know, can't they just do whatever? And, uh, but you know, the uncertainty of our day, at least to me, seems like it could be solved by just simple decision making. But you know, our day is a very uncertain day. And uh, there's just so many factors. And you know that. I don't even need to explain it to you. You know it. What a day, you know, going all the way back to the beginning of this year. Uh, 2020 has been quite a day. Uh, even think of what happened on Friday with that Supreme Court justice passing away. And uh, we were texting as a staff about it. And uh, somebody said, I think it might have been Mr. Mueller, said something along the lines of, as if 2020 hadn't already been interesting. Whoa. And you think, how is this even possible? And uh, don't you sense it? Don't you just sense the uncertainty, maybe the, uh, uh, maybe the insecurity of our day? I want to challenge you this morning to put your unreserved all into what Jesus is doing in and through your life because you can't lose. Put your unreserved all into what Jesus is doing in and through your life because you can't lose. Um, because you don't know the future, don't try to predict it. You know, you might be able to think, well, but what if? You know, the truth is you don't know, but what if? Because the future's unsure and you can't predict it, then don't try to predict it. <clears throat> go for it. Because you can't predict the future, then just go for it. Uh, because today is such a day of uncertainty, we can be tempted to hold out and hold on. But don't do it. Go for it. Do you know how many of you know the history of America? Raise your hand if you know a little bit about the history of America. Okay, I do. I think we know a little bit about it. And I've had to study it in school and so on. We know some of the history of America, right? Uh, the Founding Fathers and the Declaration of Independence and so on and so forth and the birth of Micah Schultz and all that, right? You remember a little bit of the history <laughs> of, our, of our great country, right? How many of you know the future of America? Well, okay, we do in a biblical sense, right? But you, know, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't. Do you know? Nobody knows. Um, how many of you know your own past, your own history? Hopefully you do, right? <laughs> Hopefully you know a little bit about your own history, right? How many of you know your own future? And uh, the obvious answer is you don't know, right? You know what you're training for. You know what you're, um, what you're hoping to do with your life. Some of you think you might graduate next spring. And you have all these thoughts of the future. And we all know this. You don't know the future, right? You don't know. And it's tempting to look at your future with a big uh, bunch of what-ifs. Okay, I'm going to do this, but what if? Okay, I'm planning to do this, but what if? Well, hopefully this will happen, but what if? Have you ever gotten yourself all mixed up in a bunch of what-ifs? But what if? And it can actually make you hold back because of the what-ifs. 
And I want to challenge you this morning. Don't live by the what ifs. Go for it. Let's go for it. Um, probably about two years ago, maybe a little bit more, I did a um, kind of a silly little exercise. I was doing my personal hour with God and uh, started to think about my kids. That wasn't silly. Thinking about my kids is fine. That was fine. But I started to think about my kids and then thought a little bit about their kids. And uh, do you want me to give them their names? I'm just kidding. Okay, so I started to think about my kids' kids. And uh, then started to think about mine and my wife's 70th wedding anniversary. And uh, let's see, at our 70th wedding anniversary, I will be 92. And uh, almost as old as Pastor Swanson. I will be 92. (laughs) My wife will be 91. So you can guess how old we were when we were married. But at our 70th wedding anniversary, I'll be 92. She'll be 91. She'll be young. I'll be just approaching old age at that point. All right. So I decided already, and I told my kids this, that they need to celebrate our 70th wedding anniversary. So we're going to have a big party, and uh, hopefully my kids will invite both me and my wife. And uh, so it's going to be really nice. We're not going to do anything for it. We're just going to attend. My kids are going to plan the whole thing. So I appreciate their willingness to do that. We've already talked about it. So at our 70th wedding anniversary, I'll be 92. My wife will be 91. And I've already decided... One of the big events on that day, other than cake and all that, we're going to take a family picture. All right. So in that family picture, we're going to get a couple nice big cushy chairs. And uh, my wife and I, who will be definitely on the sunset part of our life, will be sitting in those chairs. So I've already already decided this. So a big party. We'll be sitting in those chairs. They're going to take a big family photo. So when I'm 92 and my wife is 91, my oldest child... Uh, let's see, this, is the year 19, uh, this will be the year 2068. 2068. Okay, so in 2068, my son, who was born in the year 2000, will be how old? 68. Unbelievable. Okay, good, 68. So Judson will be 68 years old. Okay, so that'll be a really neat time. Um, Michaela will be... 66 years old. So she'll be one year away from retirement. I guess a half year, right? 66 and a half, isn't that when you start collecting Social Security? Okay, so she will be 66. Judson will be 68. And then kind of work your way down. So I thought about, okay, let's see. If they were to marry at approximately the same time that my wife and I did, though maybe not. We were pretty young. So a little older, I think I figured like mid-20s was what I was thinking. Not young and foolish. Like we were, we were young. We weren't foolish, but, um, and so they marry, and uh, let's see, we had seven kids, but maybe they won't each have seven, maybe they'll have five. Okay, so if they have five kids, and they marry around the same time, have kids around the same, a little bit later than we had them, and uh, let's see, okay, that means that at my 70th wedding anniversary, Judson's five kids, uh, which he'll be married, I'm assuming, at that point, his five kids... (laughs) will be somewhere in their 30s and 40s, okay? So 30s and 40s. I'm 44, okay, so this is looking pretty good. So his kids will be about my age at that point, okay? All right, they'll be in their 30s and 40s. Well, it's interesting, I have kids myself. That's part of the whole story here. Um, So if Judson's kids are around the age I am today, I have kids. None of my kids have kids yet. So that means Judson, all things being equal, would have grandchildren. You know, probably some. 
So if he has five kids and they are starting to have kids, he could have, you know, 20 or so grandkids. So that's going to be neat. So at my 70th wedding anniversary, mine and my wife's, um, at our 70th wedding anniversary, <laughs> when we're sitting in the cushy chair, I'm going to have Judson's clan come and they'll stand you know, on one side of me. So Judson and his wife and then their five kids or so with their kids. So that's going to be this neat little cluster of, of people, right? Then Michaela will come and her family and they'll be over here with their kids. Be similar, actually. Her kids will be in the thir- you know, 30s and you know, whatever, 40s or so on. And, and uh, then their kids. So both Michaela and Judson will be grandparents approaching you know, the grand age of retirement and, and so on with their little grandkids. And of course, and, um, just because the way God's worked in our family, the Webbers will be there too because the Webbers are very family to us. And, and uh, well, they've already gotten a head start of this. So they got five kids now. Okay, so let's see. There'll be, well, a lot of Webbers. Okay, so we've got the Webbers <laughs> and Judd's kids and let's see. And then Simeon. And, okay, so I figured out if, <laughs> if, and I know, I don't know. I'm, I'm even figuring low. Like, they're not going to have seven each, though. You're welcome to. But I'd say they have five. Five each, and they each have five, and so on and so forth. And similar type timing and all this. Of course, this is all based on a lot of unknowns. But um, that day on our 70th one anniversary, after cake and ice cream and all that, before my nap, um, <laughs> I counted up there should be over 256 people. Man. That's like a wide-angle lens, you know? That's... So we've talked about this. Haven't we talked about this, right? Yeah, we've talked about it. Do you know when you're 92 years old? I've never been 92, so I'm just assuming something of 92. Do you know when you're 92 and you're at your 70th wedding anniversary... And the whole clan is around you. And there's 200 and some odd people. Do you know at that point, you think about it, at that moment, how much of my life will matter beyond the 256 people standing around me? The car I drove and that eventually died and I got rid of and got another car. Who cares, right? When you're 92, who cares? The home we lived in. Who cares? We're living in a nursing home at that point, so what does it matter, you know? <laughs> the home we lived in, who cares, right? You think of all the things, but you know what would really matter? All those people standing, don't you know what I'm saying? All those people standing on the side of me and my wife at that picture. And uh, I told my kids this, we've talked about this, and maybe your parents have said something similar to you. I told my kids, I said in a very certain sense, my wife and I are not particularly parenting them. We're parenting their children. And we've talked about it. This isn't the first time I've said this. We've talked about it. I think about it. My wife and I think, what is it that we're doing with our kids, not so much to ensure their success, but to ensure that they'll be good parents of kids or that my grandkids will do well? Or at that day, when I'm 70, our 70th wedding anniversary, I'm 92, what are my great-grandkids going to be like? That's a very important point. So in a certain sense, I'm living for my 70th wedding anniversary. Um, I've had the privilege of being at Falls Baptist for 20 years, a little over 20 years, and I uh, have been here during a lot of interesting growth and transition as a ministry. Uh, the college, the first year we came, the college was brand new. Uh, we just opened the college in the fall of 2000. There had been a preliminary year, I'm sorry, the fall of 99. 
There had been a preliminary year. The first Sunday we were here was the opening Sunday of Baptist College of Ministry. Well, in 20 years, the college has changed a lot. Many of you weren't even born yet. And uh, so a lot has changed. And you know, there's going to be a day that I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus, give account for my life. And in a sense, the, the, the ministry of Falls Baptist Church and the rewards and um, what Falls Baptist Church has been, I'm part and parcel with that. I'm wrapped up in Falls Baptist Church. And the reward of the church is going to be shared by me in my life has impacted the church, and so on and so forth. And it's an eternal reality. In fact, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but nothing that happens tomorrow can change what has happened yesterday or the 20 years. The reward that's coming to me as being a part of this ministry and what God has done here cannot be taken away. Okay, it's sure. It's certain. Well, having said that, I want you to find Ecclesiastes chapter 11. In Ecclesiastes here, he's dealing with a lot of just life stuff. And the book is not particularly meant to be uh, discouraging. It's just meant to help you understand that life under the sun is, it's uncertain. Uh, It can seem pessimistic, like a a hamster on a wheel. And in fact, it's like you get to the end of, of the writer's life here, Solomon, and, and he's thinking about it. And, and as he's thinking about it, he's recognizing if you're going to live your life for this life, you're going to end up pretty frustrated. It can just seem like you're just looping in life. So he's helping you to see there's got to be more to life than just living. And uh, I think if he could be here, he would say to you all, go for it. All right, so look at the first six verses. <clears throat> this is near the end now of his whole, uh, the whole book. He says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall to the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whither shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. All right, let me give you just four observations from this passage, and uh, I hope that by the end we're going to have that response of, I'm going to go for it. All right, so number one, I want you to notice some truth here about the laws of nature. And you'll find that in verse number three. In verse number three, it's kind of a funny verse. Uh, You know, no offense, of course, to the scripture, but it's kind of funny. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. If the tree fall toward the south or toward the north in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Uh, this statement of just the way things go. These are like natural laws. If a cloud gets full of, of water and, and dense enough, it'll rain. Um, where a tree falls, that's where it's going to land. North, south, doesn't matter. Where a tree goes, it's going to go. Uh, this is not meant to be a political statement, but did you know that gravity works the same in China as it does in America? 
Uh, Do you know that the laws of nature apply the same to all points of the universe? And uh, so when we're dealing with political struggle, you know, right now our country is in a great struggle. Really, probably a lot of what's happening does have to do with China. So here we are in this great struggle with China. And we're feeling it. We have an internal struggle. We have an international struggle. And uh, we think, oh, man. But you know what? The laws of nature apply equally to us and them and there and here. Okay, so the laws of nature. You know, the framers, I think of this phrase, maybe going back to those that uh, framed our Constitution, they would use an expression, the laws of nature and of nature's God. And, of course, a lot of them, they're writing, theorizing about government and how people should respond and so on. But they had in their minds an understanding of just the the laws of nature and the God of those laws. And so they're going to try and frame a, a country based on these laws. And so even though they're theorizing about government, they are basing it on laws of nature. Um, uh, God's ways always work. Nothing man can do can really stop them. I was sitting on the swing in my backyard doing my devotions. This was a few, few weeks ago. And, and I'm telling you, it's like the world's on fire, you know. And this is before California was on fire. It's like the world's on fire. And uh, I was sitting there, and the sun's rising, and I'm, I'm praying, and I'm just spending that time, and the birds were singing. And the thought occurs to me, boy, those birds must not realize how bad off we are. Don't we know that, you know, Portland is now literally a socialist, you know, haven? And, oh, man, don't the birds know that? And I thought, I bet the birds don't care about that. And the reality is the sun was rising, it was a new day, and all these natural things are happening, even though the world around us was so unsure. The basic stuff of life was just still happening. I thought, isn't that just the way it goes? Do you know, it would be confusing uh, to look and see clouds that are ready to fall, ready to rain, and then not get the rain. Um, You know, I was thinking about these hurricanes. I can't remember the hurricane names. We keep getting these hurricanes, uh, Gertrude or whatever, you know, Hurricane Gertrude, or what's, what was the big one that just came through and dumped all that water on New Orleans and whatever. What is it? Sally. Sally, that's what I was looking for, Sally. All I could think was Sand, Sandy, but that was a couple years ago. Sally, Gertrude. So, you know, a hurricane, do you know what, this might surprise you, do you know what, if it's going to rain, you can't stop it? And do you know, actually, you can't do anything really to produce it. Um, I was told once that there's a, some sort of a kind of a not well-known military trick where they can actually create rain. And I'm sure that's probably true in like a, a, a little bit. But generally, can you produce rain? No. Can you stop rain? No. And so when weather systems move through, what really can we do about it? Not a whole lot. All we can do is respond to it. Because when nature's going to do what nature's going to do, and nature's God is working in those ways, there's not much you can do about it. You're going to have to just roll with it. Hurricane comes through, you can't stop it. You're going to have to just roll with it. Uh, this summer, we, knocked, we, um, we fell a few trees in our yard. We had some ash trees that got the ash borer. Um, it's not a disease. Ash borer is a bug, right? It got the ash borer. And uh, so the trees were, were essentially dying or, or deading. And, and so we had to, we had to fell them. So I called a good fella to fell my trees, Nick Stahl. So Nick came over, and then James Kotfis, of course, uh, was there too. He lives at our house, and James is always up for some interesting 
adventure. So we lopped these trees down, and they were huge trees. I don't, I'm not good at estimating height. They were maybe 50 feet tall. They were very old and very dead. And so we did what you do when you cut down a tree. You know, we kind of cut some of the branches down and tried to think about how it's going to fall. We hooked up a rope to it. What's it called when you put the rope on a tree? There's a word for it. The whatever. Anyway, we had the rope on the tree. And, and so then we cut the, the wedge out of the one side and started to cut the back. And so we're at one end of the yard and we're pulling this rope and it's got the pulleys on it and we're, we're doing the thing. And uh, still, one of the trees, and we did everything we could to predict which way it would go, and we tried to pull it you know, straight down this way, it still ended up going just a little bit one way and got caught in the tree next to it. And it could have been a whole lot worse, really. We were, stable, we were able to get it down, and no, it was fine. It wasn't a problem, but it was interesting to watch because when a tree goes, it's going. And uh, when a tree falls, there's not a whole lot really you can do with it. Not in that context, okay? Not without a machine or whatever. We're just, we're just felling the tree. And uh, so when you think about the laws of nature, I just want to challenge you with this. You know, the way things work is the way things work. And they're really not altered that much by what we do. You know, man thinks they're so, you know, brilliant and powerful. And the honest truth is if it's going to rain, it's going to rain. If it's not going to rain, it's not going to rain. If a tree falls to the north or the south, it's going there. And when it falls, that's where it's going to be. And God works in natural ways. So when you're determining how to live your life, do it according to God's absolute economy, not man's. I remember when I was younger, I used to think, I wish I could stop time. Have you ever been behind on a project, you know, the paper's due tomorrow, and you think, man, I wish I could stop time. Have you ever thought it? Of course, I'm going to say, please, whatever. I mean, I'm weird, but I can't be the only really weird one. So I used to, there was a television show when I was a kid about some girl, I don't remember what the show was called, but she could put her fingers together like this and stop time. And I mean, I should have never watched that show because I thought, that's what I want so bad. I, no, it's not working. <laughs> and it would always be before a project is due or when the alarm goes off in the morning. I wish I could stop time. And, and you know, honestly, you, you might wish you could stop time, but you know the better thing to do is plan accordingly because you can't. Because the laws of nature work. And so, you know, you might wish that something unusual would happen. The better thing is to plan according to what will happen. You know, your alarm is going to go off in the morning, so go to bed at night. Uh, your assignment is going to be due that day, so plan ahead for it. Work toward it. Um, okay, more can be said there. How about this? I want you to know, secondly, take a risk. Take a risk. If all these things are true, then take a risk. Uh, look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Um, we notice in verse 1, it says, Cast thy bread. Whose bread is it that you're talking about? It's not talking about casting others' bread. It's talking about casting your bread. Uh, one of my kids, um, uh, Titus, actually, I don't think he would mind me saying this. Uh, Titus has earbuds. And uh, the other day, lost one of them. And so somehow, I think, uh, maybe because he lost the one, the other wasn't working or whatever, so he lost his earbuds. Simeon got ear pods, air pods, air pods. And uh, so he didn't need his old earbuds anymore. So Titus was convinced the right thing for Simeon to do would be to give him his old earbuds. And uh, so Titus came to me, and he's like, what do you think? I said, it's up to Simeon. He said, well, I know, but what do you think? Is that a good plan? I'm like, I don't know. It's up to Simeon. Those are his earbuds. But he doesn't need them anymore. I said, well, but they're still his earbuds. And he said, but that's not fair. (laughs) 
doesn't that sound a little familiar to you? You know, I told Titus, I said, Titus, we're going to have to learn lessons about the importance of private property. Because if Simeon owns it, he has the right to control it. And you can't come in and say, well, let's share the wealth. You know, um, you're richer than I am. Don't you think you should just share that with me? I said, private property assumes the right of control. Okay, so if it's thy bread, then he says, cast thy bread upon the waters. It's yours, it's under your control, but here the idea is really give it, uh, give it away. Really, I think this is kind of an injunction to, to, to giving, be generous. Um, uh, it's, it's more than even money, it's the stuff of life. Don't hoard the stuff of life, give it away. Here it says, upon the waters. I would think it's fair to, to read into that the understanding of the waters being the masses of humanity. Give, just give, help out. You know, take the stuff of life and give it to others. Uh, give, and then what will happen? You will find it after many days. And the question is, how? How will you find it again after many days? Do you know the answer is, I don't know. But it says you will. And so the temptation to hoard is because you don't know how you're going to get it back. But here it says, don't live your life hoarding. The implication is because of uncertainties. Don't live hoarding, live giving. Because it's the giving that in time, in due time, in a way that you can't even predict, you're going to get it back. Don't worry about it. Um, uh, seven here, it says, um, give a portion to seven and also to eight. So I, if seven's the perfect number, what, what would eight be? Above and beyond, right? So he says, so give and give even beyond measure. Um, I, somebody preached on this passage years ago, and they were talking about, I think probably about giving, kind of similar thought to what we're doing here. And uh, I don't know, somehow they started talking about the eighth portion. About, the eighth portion is that just beyond what you, can, what you can do. You know, seven is what you can do, go beyond that. And so the eighth portion is maybe the difficult thing beyond. And somehow through the course of that, in discussion, um, it became widely known that I was Mrs. Catter Henry's eighth portion. I thought, I don't So if eight is what she can handle, I'm sorry, if seven is what she can handle, I was the eighth portion. So I'm just beyond what Mrs. Catter Henry can handle. And so you should ask her about it. Maybe she remembers. But uh, I am her eighth portion. It's probably not a compliment. So, all right. So here's the point. Because you do not know what lays ahead. This is going to sound funny. Because you do not know what lays ahead, though your temptation would be to hold back and reserve, or maybe to use the idea of hoarding, well, I don't know what's coming up, I better hold back. He says, because you don't know what's coming up, don't hold back, cast your bed upon the waters. Just go for it. Be liberal. Give. Help. Look, you got needs all around you. Give to the needs around you. Yeah, but what if it puts me in a bad spot? He's saying it can't put you in a bad spot. He said, if you cast your bread upon the waters, it will come back to you. Okay, you want to think about certainty? The certainty is if you give, you'll get. So he said, if you are tempted to hold back because of uncertainty, he says, think exactly opposite. Don't hold back. Give because it will come back to you. And don't just give in a measured way. Give beyond. He says, for, verse 2, thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. And a pastor's not up here, and I kind of wish he was. I was going to ask him to clarify this. But I remember he told a story about um, he was in a service with his father. I don't know if I remember the details enough. I think they were down in Miami, perhaps. 
And uh, there was a, on the front row of the church where his grandfather, uh, where pastor's father had pastored, there were some older men. And they were kind of your typical men, didn't look like they had a lot of means per se. And uh, if, I, if I remember the illustration correctly, and I'm probably not exactly right on it, but these men used to have great wealth. But through the turn of the economy or whatever, I don't know, at some point maybe Great Depression or something, they lost it all their wealth. And uh, one of the men then, pastor remembers one of the men saying, I wish I had given while I could. But when he lost everything, he couldn't give any. And so here he was hoarding to try and be prepared for the future and then ended up losing it. And what he ended up losing in it was the opportunity to give with it. And uh, so you think, okay, I don't know what the future is. I better hold back. And the point of the passage is because you don't know the future, why don't you give because you don't know what's going to happen? Because there might come a time. If you don't give now, you won't be able to give later. Better to give when you can because you may not get to later. Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And uh, whatever is given cannot be lost. And uh, once the treasure is in heaven, you can't, you can't lose it. Uh, you've heard the expression, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Um, to really possess, give. To really possess, give. Let me show you uh, one other thing here. Uh, two other things, just real quick. Look at thirdly, at verse number five. Uh, verse five and six, it says, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God, who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whither shall prosper, either this or that, or whither they both shall be alike good. All right, so we, I used the expression before, the laws of nature and nature's God. And uh, so thirdly, I want you to notice, expect supernatural intervention. Expect supernatural intervention. When you're dealing with just the way things work, your alarm is going to go off in the morning. Expect supernatural intervention. Oh, man, that's not the point. But that's kind of true, right? Okay, if you know how things are going to come, you know how, it's going to, you know how things work, then expect those things to work, but realize nothing just happens. If you were to plant a, a seed in the ground, and then you water it, and you let it get sunlight, and you do all the things you should do to make a seed grow into a plant. Do you really understand how the plant works? Well, okay, whatever. You can try and explain it scientifically. It's a, it's a miracle. Life is a miracle. A baby in the womb growing and becoming and, and birthing. Okay, do we understand it? Sure. You know, cells divide and so on and so forth. But really? Do we really understand that? That's a wonder. It's a wonder. And the ways of God, the ways of nature, and the way God works in nature is remarkable. And so here's the point. Okay, here's the point. When you're dealing with uncertainty and how to respond to uncertainty, and you're going to depend on God in it, and who knows the future? We do know one thing about the future. We can expect supernatural intervention. And so we need to think according to how things work and expect that the way of things working is the hand of God behind it. Um, even the laws of nature assume the intervention of nature's God. Nothing in life just happens. You don't have to understand how something goes. You just have to trust that God does what he does. And uh, so application, don't slack. Here he says, uh, verse 6, In the morning sow thy seed, in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whither shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both alike uh, shall be alike good. Uh, I guess in a certain sense, don't put all your eggs in one basket. 
Um, you know, diversify. Work hard. Uh, you know, the, the one that works hard makes it. The one that works hard gets ahead. The one who's lazy and hopes for the easy break is never going to get it. And uh, because you don't know the future, give, respond. You may never get to give again. Just give it all. Go for it. Because in going for it, if you're diligent, it's going to work. The future's going to work. So last thing, and I want you to look at verse 4. And this is what I want you to walk away with. I want you to walk away with verse number 4. In verse number 4, it says this, He that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. Do you know if you wait for better conditions? You won't. If you wait for better conditions, you won't. If you're observing the wind and you're trying to, oh, it's not the best day for it or so on. Proverbs talks about this. Um, if you wait for better conditions, you won't end up doing it. So the best time to do what's in front of you is right now. Uh, you say, well, I don't know. It just seems like a risky day. If you wait for the day not to be risky, you're going to miss your chance altogether. Um, do you know the clouds of November 3rd are coming? And we ought to be burdened about it. We ought to be praying about it. Um, what's going to happen on November 3rd? I don't know. What's going to happen on the 4th? I don't know. What's going to happen in the weeks after that? I don't know. And so we could be tempted to say, well, I'm not going to go for the whatever because I don't know what's going to happen on that day. And I am telling you, what the passage is saying is, don't wait for November 3rd. Whatever's in front of you, do it right now. If it seems like, well, but I might put myself in a risky position. So what? Cast your bread upon the waters. You don't know what's going to happen. Do you remember in 2016 who was going to win the election? There was no doubt about it. 100% sure. I mean, the odds were all for who in 2016? Hillary Clinton. I mean, there was no, there was no contest. There was not going to be. And then... Donald Trump won. Unpredictable, right? Unpredictable. What's going to happen November 3rd? I don't know. What's going to happen to America? I don't know. What's going to happen to you? I don't know. And the temptation is because we don't know to hold back. And he's saying because you don't know, you better do it now. Because if you don't do it now, you may never get to do it later. So don't hold back. He that observeth the wind will not sow. He that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. It's interesting in Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah is given the opportunity to buy some land that I'm not 100% sure, maybe Dr. Burkett can correct me, but I think the land he bought was already taken, right? Anathoth, maybe was already taken at that point. Um, and so then he has a relative come and, and buy, say, buy the land, and God says, buy the land. It didn't make any sense. Why would he buy the land? It either was or soon would be taken captive. And so then he buys the land. He's obeying the Lord. Of course, this is all a matter of prophetic illustration. But the expression is made in 32.17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy power and outstretched arm. And there is nothing too hard for thee. So Jeremiah stakes really his own personal wealth in a certain sense on something that made no sense because he knew God was in control of everything. And so let me challenge you. Don't hold back. Go for it. The clouds of November 3rd are coming. What are you going to do? Hide it in a napkin? Do you remember the, the, uh, the one who was supposed to invest didn't because he was scared? And the one who did invest got the reward? Go for it. Um, I used to play uh, Monopoly with my sister. She's older than me, and somehow I would convince her 
always to play Monopoly with me. And she didn't like it, and it didn't matter. I would convince her to do it when we play Monopoly. I loved Monopoly. It was just like my thing. I loved playing Monopoly, and uh, I was just a fool for Monopoly. You know, we'd, I would literally get, you know, anything I landed on, didn't matter. Uh, the, the jail, I bought it. It didn't matter. I bought everything I could. Um, any money I could come up with, I'd just buy it. So I'd buy a property, land another one, mortgage the first one to buy the second one. I mean, I am always buying, 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 buying. And generally, now this is, I hope I don't hurt my arm in doing this, patting myself on the back. Generally, I won. Because I knew that if I didn't go for it, I would never get it. And my sister was more conservative. So she would, she didn't have the money. She would just wait till the next round. So I'm going through the game and I'd have like, you know, 20 properties. They're all mortgaged, you know, whatever, who cares? I got them, you know, so I have all these properties and they're all mortgaged. And I'm just waiting for that time when you land on free parking, you know, and get, did you play it where you, you know, put all the money in the middle? Yeah, it's not in the rules actually, but didn't matter. I would just live for the free parking. And I'd get all these properties, get on free parking. And sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes I lost, and I lost it all. You know, like miserable, you know, crash and burn, whatever. But more times than not, I won the game. Because I knew I'm going to have to get it. I'm going to have to go for broke. And uh, I'm not a military guy, but I do know in military, in, in like in warfare, you can't fight and win with reserve. Now, you might be able to explain it better, but if you're going for the hill, you're going to have to go for the hill. And if you fight reservedly, you actually will lose. And I think that's true in life. The reality is, go for it. We are accountable, and I'm done here, we are accountable for the decisions. Uh, We are accountable for what we do with what's given to us. The results are up to God. If, If it's in front of us, God says, Go for it. But what happens is really up to God. So if I can say it this way, plan for your 70th wedding anniversary. Do I'm going to live my life for my 70th wedding anniversary. Do I really think I'm going to get to my 70th wedding anniversary? I don't know. Maybe. I'd like to. I like cake and stuff. Why not? I hope so. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. The reality is we could all be raptured up and I'll be in heaven and we could be partway into the millennial. I don't know what's going to happen. But here's my thought. And this is what I want to leave with you. My thought is this. I don't know what's going to happen. Am I going to really live to 92, celebrate my 70th wedding anniversary? I don't know. But I'm going to live today, assuming that day, because I think God will reward me for that day, even if I never get to that day. Because the actions I, uh, the actions I make in my life, the way I live my life today will actually create a trajectory that God will predict and reward even if I can never get to it. And so it's better to live for that day, and obviously I'm talking even that day, but it's better to live for that day, even if I never get to that day, because God is going to reward me not based on whether I get to that day, but on the the trajectory toward that day. And so he says, if you observe the wind, you're not going to sow. You're going to end up sitting on your hands and not getting anything. If you uh, regard the clouds, you're not going to reap. So you might right now, maybe if you're like me, you think, I don't know what's going to happen in November. I don't either. So don't wait for November 4th. You better do it now because I don't know what's going to happen. So go for it. Your only regret will be... Your, your, only regret, your only regret will not be that you had done too much, 
but that you should have done so much more when you could have. Isn't that true? Your only regret is going to be, I wish I had done more, not I wish I wouldn't have done as much. And so we don't know the future because you can't predict it because it's uncertain. The writer is saying, because you don't know, don't hold back, go for it. Cast your bread upon the waters. You're going to get it back. Don't worry about it. You don't know how a baby grows in the womb, but you know God's the one that does it. If you observe the wind, you're not going to sow. So don't observe the wind. Get going. And when you do so, trust that the God that you're trusting in is going to make it all work out right in the end, and he'll reward you for it. Even if you never get to your 70th wedding anniversary, live like it, because he'll reward you for that, even if you never get there. All right, let's pray together.